Disrupting the Ethos Podcast. Hey everybody, I am Anna and welcome to Disrupting the Ethos. Today we're going to be disrupting a very interesting conversation with unconventional, uh, probably very thought-triggering and honest conversation on a very interesting subject with my good friend, Winston Williams. Welcome, my friends. Um, Also, Winston is a good friend of mine. He is a life coach. He helps you evaluate your values to help you come to conclusions to change and make your life better. Would that be right, Mr. Winston? (laughs) That is absolutely right. Um, I found out that People understand the word life coach better and, and the things that that encompasses. And so when I get into conversations, I explain to people that I work with values and I try to help you understand what it is that is important to you. If you don't already know, make it more explicit and help you understand that the decisions your life, the decisions you make in your life are based around your values. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I feel um, even today, if we look at our world right now, how much people are lost because they don't quite know their values anymore or they're unclear about their values or maybe they do have them values, but they don't you know, stand on them to actually either speak or make decisions. And it's such a interesting and important subject to have with people. So today, Winston and I, we're gonna be speaking about the ego and How this conversation came forward was really because I am, well, you know, uh, Disrupting the Ethos is all about having conversations and really trying to challenge some sort of status quo we have around different subjects in our society. I love to look at the mindset aspect. I love to also look at our uh, paradigms that we have around that, but also into the mindset industry. And the ego conversation is a very interesting conversation as we talk about the ego all the time, especially into the self-development space and spiritual, the spiritual space also. But really, I would say in every space now, we hear the idea and concept of ego. And Winston had a wonderful blog about that that he wrote, which I will be linking in the show notes for sure. So if you want to go and read it, it's a very interesting blog. But my first question, Winston, when you wrote that blog and why we got into that conversation is what have you observed for you to want to speak out about the ego? I would love to know. Well, what is, is, um, so we started the Blue Mind Approach, which is myself, Mark and Ed. And it's about helping guys, helping men going through challenges in life. And one of the conversations we've had privately was about how we make decisions based on our ego. Um, and just to give a quick background, ego is like, a, is, is, is what we consider to be ourselves. So it's, you know, when we talk about someone being egotistical, it's about their very self and center focused, right? Um, but our ego is actually there to protect us. It's there to like make everything fit together and make reality make sense for us over time. And so when things happen that don't fit into what we believe, then, you know, we go into like defense mechanisms and we start, we'll start denying the truth, even though things are clear. And we were just talking about how that had caused some of the problems in our lives, how it caused problems for our partners, ex-partners. And, and yeah, just, it became something that we're like, this is really important. If you, if you want to develop yourself and move on and, and make sure that you're not causing problems for yourself, it's 
good idea to understand how your ego is affecting you. And that's why it became a blog post. We, we, we've got 12 blogs we're doing, and that was the one that I chose to do out of 12 of them. Well, that's an, that's an amazing concept. So would you say that um, being aware of the ego is also about developing the ego at some point? It's definitely about understanding who you are. Um, it's very hard to develop something if you don't know where you are at the moment. For sure. Um, and, you know, some of us, are, we're, a lot of these defense mechanisms are happening unconsciously. Like we're not controlling them, they just happen. And if you let yourself just go in a direction that you don't have any control over, who knows where you're going to end. But if you can see how some of your defense mechanisms are causing you problems, especially in the coaching space when you're trying to improve yourself, it's really important to know what's holding you back, what's stopping you. And, you know, a lot of the value questions will help to identify, well, you're trying to protect this because this is something you value in your life. And so your defense mechanisms are going to really be in play when these things are not happening for you. Yeah, for sure. So I know you kind of mentioned like how the ego is, yeah, it can be stubborn, it can be uh, in denial. um, But you also mentioned how it also protects a lot. Um, And I, I like to say that the ego is really like, do you say because there's different, like, I would say concepts behind the ego. So if we look at Freud, the way he identified the ego, he really almost pretty much portrayed it as the self mm. first and then you have the super ego and then you have the id and um, and then there's um carl jung who kind of re-establish uh, it as more of a the, your persona of who you are um so do you tend to be more on Freud's kind of approach or are you more based on carl's jung approach or I, maybe I, any I... other person's approach because there's so many concepts of the ego out there. So I, I really like uh, Freud's way of describing it. I think what Carl Jung did is he took it a step further, whereas Freud is very much about, it's about sex. It's about, you know, the Oedipus uh, uh, triangle between your parent, your father and your mother. And I think Jung took it a little bit further. Is like, yeah, there's more to it than that. And so I'm definitely a Jungian. Uh, I'm definitely into Carl Jung and his ideas about the persona, about the, you know, the masculine and feminine, the animus and the anima. I, I really yeah, believe sure. that. A lot of the and there's a lot of spirituality that Carl Jung brought to the science of psychology, which I appreciate. If there's anyone else that interests me when it comes to understanding the ego and identity, then it would be Ken Wilber. Um, I really like his idea of the four quadrants, which is about the the it, which is about yourself, the I, the it, the we, and the them, and understanding like these different how you are inside, how you are in society, in the different institutions that you're a part of, and all these things that make up your identity. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a Jungian. I think uh, Ken Wilber also, uh, you know, leans in the direction of Carl Jung as well. So. Yeah, well, we can actually see it because um, if you talk about the we, the, the it, the I, and I don't know what's the fourth quadrant you mentioned, but um, it makes sense if it's more on the union side of things. Um, I personally tend to like the idea of Jung because like you said, it just takes it a step further. But mm. in the basis, if you want to understand ground level of what it, the ego, I think Freud did also a great way of in, kind of explaining it, of understanding that the idea is more of the, uh, like the instinctual kind of self. And then you have yep. this self, which is the ego. and then the um super ego is more of the morality like 
Um, it's funny because I like to address, I would like to, I like to address different personas for me. Like I believe the self is the ego or whatever it is. I like to say the self, that's my wording. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, I, the self is constructed in many space, like different things, a little bit like Carl Jung, when he talks about archetypes, I like the archetype, um, view of a person because we're so multidimensional in many aspects. Mm -hmm. And I believe we bring different archetypes to different situations and our self, which is quote unquote, the ego, sometimes it's this little teeny tiny aspect that will come forth to be either portrayed or used in situations. But I like to also address myself as I have my inner bad bitch. I have also my inner asshole. My inner asshole is my critique. It's the person who comes up to me to say, Hey, this is wrong. Or a little bit like the super ego that is represented by Freud. Um, but yeah, there's so many wording, there's so many ways we can look at it, but at the end of the day, the ego is pretty much, I would say the self in my own perspective of what we want to address it, but what I've been seeing, and I don't know if you like what you mentioned also about why you wrote the blog is because it's super important to understand ourselves at the, at this point, what have you saw into your, maybe through your clients into your day-to-day basis how people are unconnected to their concept of ego or their concept of self i think so you know for me self and ego is is pretty much the same thing and when we in the reason i like jung is because of that integration of like you mentioned these different person like the types these different types different parts of your personality different parts of yourself and carl jung talks very much about integration of every part of you one of the things I'm noticing, especially with the situation we've had over the last couple of years, is that people have very strong opinions. And those opinions come from the ego. You know, you have an understanding of the world, you believe the world is a certain way, and then suddenly someone challenges that with something that you that you just can't seem to reconcile in what you believe. And that's when you start to get this clash between people's ideas. Um, we've seen that between the vaccinated and the non-vaccinated, right? And the way the way people have played on that and again just it's created a division in society there's lots of places we can see it what i find is when you start to question why you believe what you believe Mm -hmm. some people who don't really want to think about it they'll just they'll literally their defenses will come up and they don't want to discuss with you and you know it's been proven psychologically that if you try to change somebody's mind who doesn't want to be changed they actually believe what they believe even more regardless of whether it's true or not but for people who want to change you know it's a case of okay well how do I reconcile this new information that I've got in my way of looking at the world does it mean that I need to throw out old ideas does it mean I need to adjust things and that process I think is what Carl Jung is talking about integration so you know I used to be a doorman and when I was working in the door I had a certain personality that was different from when I was a father. And it's different from when I was working in a, a particular kind of shop. And at some point is how do I integrate all of that? So when you meet me in any of these situations, you meet the same person. Yeah. That's integration. But you know, if you end, put yourself in this place, which is like a cognitive dissonance where you know one thing is true, but you're still working on old belief systems, then you will have these like clashes in, you know, in your behavior and it will make you, it puts you in kind of a crisis situation. 
Yeah. Inner conflict. I like to say, I like to bring it up like that. There's this inner conflict that happens with your, um, like whatever you want to say, like the self, the eagle, or even like, I know for me, it's like a lot of the, it's my inner asshole and my inner badass bitch that really try to talk each other out of things. And it's, yeah. And it's I think, like- I think a, a place where I'm seeing it very v- visually, I'm seeing it is people who in Denmark, we don't need to wear masks anymore. And I don't know if you remember, like some people had visors, so you could yeah. still see their face. Well, you know, as far as I understand, all the evidence says that with the current uh, corona that's going around, like visors aren't going to do that much. But I see people now like a month or six weeks after our restrictions have gone wearing visors, walking around. And it's just a case of, well, you know, over the last two years, we've been programmed to believe something. Yeah. And now to suddenly change and say hey we don't need that anymore some people take a longer time to reconcile the new information for sure and so you know we we can look at it and smile or laugh but it's just it's just people need time to adjust some people adjust very quickly well some people need more time i believe like the if we talk about that that situation of the mask at the end of the day i don't mind if you want to wear the mask Mm. but don't ask and impose me to wear one if i don't want to right this is where the I think the the conversation needs to be happening. And at the end of the day, we're all responsible adults. But the thing is, we're not. We've been taught or not. We've been brought up that we're not. We've been programmed that we're not. So we need people like our governments to tell us how to do things, unfortunately. And that's the thing. People are not taking responsibility of themselves. That's why we have people pointing fingers when everything goes wrong. Well, here's another thing I think is going to be interesting is, you know, I can't remember how old you are exactly, but you know, let's say you've been growing 30 or 40 years, I'm 40. When you're 30 or 40 years and you've, you live in a democratic society where you've been taught that your medical information is private. Yeah. And over the last two years, we've been sharing our medical information with the waitress at Pizza yeah. Hut. We've been sharing it with the guy at the petrol station, at the library, and all these different people. So over the last two years, we've been programmed to say, hey, medical information is okay to share. And now that the restrictions are finished and it's become private again, so we need to go back. And I think just seeing now, you know, like, is it still private? Is your, is your medical information still private? That's an idea of a belief system that has been sort of kind of uh, played around with for the last two years. And it'd be yeah. interesting to see how do people feel about sharing their private information now? Well, my take on private on information, um, because like you said, we've been showing medical information to go to restaurants and we've been shamed if we don't have to, if we don't have the vaccines or whatever it is, and we don't have the pass. Um, this whole situation, uh, the conditioned, um, Mm. where, where I was going with this, sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought. So you were talking about how, yeah, how we, you know, we, we know that private information, medical yes. information is private. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm 32 years old. So I'm going on 33, the year of Christ. And like, I have some sort of illumination sometimes. Uh, but anyways, um, where like the idea of just showing whatever information is wrong, especially if it's, it's this requirement behind spending your own money where I have a very interesting kind of conflict in my own self about it. Like why should me showing my medical information give me the right to spend money? 
And a lot of people don't see it quite like that. But mm. for me, it's that like we're actually tempering with economy here. We're tempering with the free market. We're tempering with freedom. We're tempering, like we're literally tempering with freedom of choice. And for starters, if we actually believe that they actually don't have our information, then we're sincerely delusional. That's my own opinion about it. Mm-hmm. They already have our, they already have all they need. Here in Canada, they, they were able to shut down bank accounts. So if you think they have nothing on you, then you're delusional. Um, So whatever it's medical information, whatever it's like, they have everything at the end of the day, because everything is stored on computers. Now we have servers that hold so much information now. So, and not only with that, a lot of it is now also we share so much on social media. So we literally are, have been conditioned to show to also not only that we've been conditioned that we're presented something repeatedly then it gets anchored yeah this is subconscious 101 kind of nlp 101 here going on so yes in the last few years we've been tempered with this um and yes it's leaving but it will come back in a new shape way or form it's going to be presented in a new special way same way that's happening with the metaverse, uh, same, same thing here. Um, it's going to be, it's always this new process of bringing us to a certain point. And I think this is where like having a true, I would say, overlook on who you are and what you believe in. And also be curious of what's going on, because I think we've lost that. Mm-hmm. Um, we can see right now we are having a war situation with Russia and Ukraine, which is a great example right now of not even a day before that, every every eyes were on Canada because of our mandates and our government and the way he was reacting to um, our peaceful protests. And next next day, Russia invades Ukraine. And my heart and uh, soul goes to the people who are actually living out a war through between two leaders that are not agreeing on a lot of things. Mm. Um, I don't want to speculate because I don't know a lot about what's been going on. I know it's, it it was an ongoing threat, but it's, um, there's a lot to be learned from there, but still now every eyes are there. So are we conditioned also to follow trends that our leaders are pushing us forward and I believe it is. There's a lot of propaganda going on on both sides from either Russia and also of Ukraine and, of course, the whole entire world about what's going on over there. And it's like this is another condition that I see where, you know what, this is what happens in China. What you publish on social media, you get points, you get more credits, you get more uh, social social status based on their credit points so we're there again setting standards of what is okay and what is wrong and being part of the current now if like i'm against war period that's why i'm not posting anything about what's going on over there because i'm against war regardless on which side is which it takes two to fight that's all that's how i see things that's my my mother always said it it takes two to fight so i believe in the same kind of principle here and um and also, like we, like again, I'm with the in- innocent people who are not part of that conflict, which are paying actually the price of all of that. 
that's sad. Mm -hmm. And of course, why would I go and preach any freedoms of any other country? I, 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 I want to preach freedom for every country, but I don't even have mine in my own, which I think is a very interesting yeah. double standard. Um, so like, even like, I cannot, like, I can get out of my country, but I cannot come back to my own home. My child cannot leave the country right now. Do I call that freedom? Do I call that? And it's unaligned to what I believe in. I believe we should have always choice. I think, I think it's unaligned to everything we've been raised to believe about democracy. And I think that's one of the things that's been so important to, to follow what's going, in, um, going on in Canada. Unfortunately, not a lot of people in the West really understand what's going on um, because they get in the idea from the, from the papers. And, and if anyone knows about the John Hopkins uh, report, they did a meta study of all the, you know, lots of research over the last two years. And one of the concerning things is the collusion between the media and the governments. Yep. Now, anyone who has watched the media since at least, let's just say, let's go back to terrorism to 2001. Uh, we can see how, you know, things are presented in a certain way. I don't, I don't know if anyone else noted, but there was no terrorism the last two years. And in Denmark, the moment our restrictions were lifted, they captured uh, the new leader of ISIS, which oh, I thought was quite interesting. Um, and it's just to show how, you know, we get shown what they want us to see. And that can be because of money, that can be because of politics. Obviously, negative news sells more than positive. Um, if you have an election coming up, then you want certain information to be put out there. Yeah. So... I'm one of those people who's actually chosen not to pay too much attention to the news. So yeah. I do, I hear what's going on and I research it for myself and I try to get as much of an unbiased view as possible. The only problem with that is there's so much information uh, we don't have time to know everything. No. And so this is where our defense mechanisms come in again, right? We don't, we don't have time to try and reconcile all this new information so we focus on certain areas and all of us focus on different things yeah. and that leads us to having these differences in opinion. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the thing is, I know we're going to trigger probably a lot of people with this because these are really okay. challenging conversations, but that's the thing people, that's the underlining, uh, I would say conversation here about what is the ego? What is the self? That at the end of the day, yes, we are challenged, that ego is challenged daily and every second of the moment, because this is the ego is where a lot of, of it, it gets filtered. That's how I perceive it. We filter from that aspect. Like I have very strong opinions. I know you do too. We all have strong opinions. Um, and whether we share them or not, that's from the ego or whatever we want to present as an, an, uh, as an ego outside of ourselves from that space. But they're all based on, like you said, values, what you hold, the belief systems that we hold. And of course, the information we get from exterior, like we're giving that permission for that information to come into our, like either to come into our belief systems or shift our belief systems or being rejected. And I think this is where a lot of people have a, I, ha I would say, unfortunately, have um, they don't care to dig a little bit deeper to question the information they're getting, like because I do watch some media a lot because I just want to understand where their stories come from. <laughs> I'm just pure curious. And of course, if you wonder if there is collusion between the media and the government, well, our fabulous government, Trudeau, actually did say point blankly into a 
conference that he pays the fucking media. So if you believe it's not, it's that it doesn't happen, then you're even more delusional. That's why you have to pay attention to what people say and so, how they say it. What does it mean? There's I something really important about that, which you're, which, you're, which you're going into. And for me, that's the reason I don't really pay a lot of attention to the media. So when it comes to food, when it comes to skin products and hair products, and yeah. when, we, when we find out something is bad for us, we limit it, we limit our intake of it. Because once it's in your system, it's inside of you. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, and so, you know, I really like sugar, but I limit it because I know what damage it can do to me. Um, people uh, who are taking, you know, different creams, they're careful of what they call parabens, the different uh, chemicals that then get absorbed to your body. And, you, you know, you limit your intake of it because we know it's damaging. When we get new information, it's exactly the same thing. The only difference is that when it comes in unconsciously and we don't realize we're, we're taking it, yeah. even though we're not consciously aware of it, it still has effects on what we believe. Yeah. And to give you an example of that, how in Western society, um, people find lighter skinned people more attractive. Now, I don't think that's something that we are consciously taught, but it's, 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 it underlies a lot of things that were shown in everyday life. Yeah. And, and they've, oh. done, they've done psychological tests that even black people in Western countries find lighter people more attractive. And that just shows to you, well, how is that? It's not being done consciously. No, it's but not. Anything you take into your system, information, food, anything that goes into your system, even if you don't want to accept it, it does affect your belief systems. Yeah, well, I do believe that. Um, and the thing is, but yeah, it, it really depends on how you want to like everything. Like you say, you limit it. I limit it a lot. I like, I cannot watch the news, but I like to go and see clips of it because I just want to, because I want to get the other side of the perspective. I like to see all sides. I like to look at all the spectrum, um, to really then stand back and then process the information on myself yeah. as a grown woman. Um, and then, then make my own opinion from that space and also like filter it through my values, filter it through my points of views. Is this yep. meant to make a change? Like, I think I've never followed that much politics in my life mm. where I'm always on the government side to understand what's going on into the house of commons. I've on the senator's side watching what they're doing because, um, I've been very predominantly on there watching what what's going on. What's the discussions? What are my leaders actually talking about in chambers? Yeah. Um, like, it's great that the media speaks stuff, but understanding what's really going on between the, well, actually they're not really close, but yet again, nobody watches it, but we're mm -hmm. not taught to look at our politics. We're not taught to talk about politics. Um, I remember it was, I'm a very, well, I always follow a little bit of politics all of my life. I think it's a very important subject and more people need to pay attention to it. That's my belief. Um, to really understand what's going on in your inside your own walls. I like to say yeah. it like that. Um, but yet again, like it's where do you get the information? But you like, I like to say, go to the source. Like it's like all the, the like the things about the, like here in Canada, in Quebec, especially there was this thing about, um, 
the hospitals. <laughs> like apparently our hospitals were overloading and blah, blah, blah. And the thing is, yes, there were a couple of the hospitals that were overloaded, but there was a lot, not at all. Mm-hmm. But if you actually go on the site of the government and look at the stats and look at uh, the number of hospitals, like the numbers didn't make sense. You, d- you don't need to be Einstein to figure that shit out. And it's yep. blank on the government's website. Yeah, They say it was the unvaccinated people. But when you look at the charts, you're seeing it's like 60 and over people who are hospitalized. Then yeah. it's if, if they're 60 and over and they're unvaccinated, probably because they have a freaking condition that makes that prevents them to have that shot, probably. Yeah. Like it, you have to start to add up some things. Yeah, well, I mean, that was the same thing in um they in Norway. They it's about a year ago, they saw that the vaccine was causing a lot of elderly people to die. Mm-hmm. Um but what they found was that the amount of elderly people dying, it was a particular home or a particular area where they were getting the vaccine and they were dying. They found, okay, well, the numbers are actually the same as they normally are. So something that was happening normally, they were then attributing to the, the, the vaccination to try and use that as a reason that we shouldn't get yeah. vaccinated. Um, it, you know, you can always use information how you want to use it. It's just yeah. a case of, like you say, if you go to the source and you see what factors they've actually considered, then you can start to realize, okay, maybe this information isn't what they're trying to make it sound like it is. Exactly. And that's where, you know, being an expert here in in Denmark, I've been following the news in London, in England, and mm-hmm. I've been following the news in Denmark. I've also been following someone who's, I think, quite trustworthy, and he's looking at news all around the world. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting seeing how one piece of information was interpreted in, in four or five different ways by different countries, especially Denmark and England. So, you know, that's, that's, it's really sad to know that we can't always trust certain, uh, you know, institutions in society. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that this is where I think is the challenge as, a, as an individual is to question. I think mm. we've lost that. And this is why I created this podcast, because I really want people to start questioning what they're taking as information. Like we've been broad now, we've been going from topic to topic and you know what? Like I want people to start just, you know, I just want the wheels to turn. I think that's just what I believe people should do. It's not about then saying, oh, this is wrong and this is right or whatever it is. It's just about you questioning the status quo. People, yeah. I want people to start questioning what they're actually looking out into the world, question what's going on into their internal world, what's going on into their belief system, what goes on into their minds, what goes on into their emotions, their soul, their spirit, whatever it is. But it's really about just also questioning the information you're getting. And maybe there's a lot of information I'll give up, give out, and you won't like the, they won't align. And same for you. But then again, it doesn't mean it makes it wrong or right either. I think we have to stop with this labeling of wrong and label, but more about, is it aligned to what I believe in? Or is it mm-hmm. aligned to the things that I do want to start belief in also? Exactly. Um, and this is just about just having that conversation to questions ourselves and get those wheels turning. And that's where I think we've lost it. We don't question I, enough. I think if we, qu- you know, just with the passport, the um, vaccine passports, yeah. if that was questions, earlier i i wonder if that would even happen i think that the problem was the government had, had, had promoted or 
you know, push this way of looking at the virus and how dangerous it was and how much damage it can cause. I think if people really ask themselves, do I want to live in a world where I share my medical information with everybody? Yeah. I think if that was more questioned and what are the implications of doing that? Okay, yeah, we, we protect a system now that needs protecting apparently, which we now find out um, all these restrictions have only had, is it a 0.2% uh, effect, positive effects, and the rest of it is negative, right? Yeah. So if we had questioned that before, would we have demanded more information before? Yeah, sure, you can have my medical information. Uh, the guy who's delivering my pizza, you know? Yeah, I think if, if we question that, how does that fit into the world that I want to live in? I don't want to live in a world where I share all of my medical information. Or my financial information, because that's exactly. coming along. Uh, or even, you know what? That's how you're going to, like, there's so much more to that. And it, here in, in Quebec, Canada, how it was actually marketed is... If you want freedom, you need the passport. Mm. If you want to live, you have to have the passport. Exactly. And exactly. it's, uh, and I say market, okay, people, I'm going to say it like that. Because you know what? That is marketing. If you don't know what marketing is, look into that. Um, but it is marketing. Um, we all market. What we speak is marketing. Like, it is what it is. You have to acknowledge that I do it all the time. What I do right now is some marketing, but the way it was market here, especially in Quebec is literally, if you want to live, if you want, if you want some freedoms, this is how it's going to work. And I think this is where it got completely wronged because I remember I was very um, against the vaccine. I was against the passport. I was very strong about the passport. Um, I already had my first shot when the passport came along. I decided to get the shots because my government was saying at 75%, we would go back to normal. And I was having, I had friends, I had family, I had neighbors. I had a lot of people in my community, people with, with who I work, who were go, going through really challenging, uh, situations mentally, physically, based on what we were demanding of them based on that. And I'm a very healthy person. So I, I decided to take it for my community, but then as the, I, I didn't have my second shot yet. And then they roll out that pass, passport. I was like, I was like discouraged. I was like, this is going really wrong. This is all going, this is really going wrong. And um, right now I'm actually boy, boycotting all places demanding passports um that's my choice because i'm against it and i don't want to get to the id situation um because here they're really pushing it they've already invested millions and millions of dollars uh to build facilities to hold the servers so it's ongoing the project is actually happening there's even well apparently i'm trying to find the information there's apparently already some cameras with facial recognition to start that has been done here in the in my city and I'm really pissed about that because we actually don't know about it. It's been said, but there's not much information about that, um, which is very scary because we're not being shared that this is happening. And that we're pretty much the guinea pigs of what's going on. And people don't seem to realize that. I think what's scary about that is, again, you know, 
a lot of us, almost everyone of in a democratic society, we have a belief about the way things are supposed to be. We don't agree on everything, but there are some very basic things. Yep. And if they're suddenly putting up facial recognition cameras without telling you, you know, I think that crosses a lot of lines that most people would agree. Okay, that's not democratic. Well, but it's, it's well, being done anyway. You're doing something without the knowledge or consent of the people. Yeah. I don't care if I've elected you. I didn't elect him. If you really want to know, I never elected him. But um, it's still it's it's weird. And but the thing is, then why would we know? Because every eyes are somewhere else. Yeah. There's a very we're, big. We're being bombarded with information, and we have to pick and choose what we have time to interpret. So. Yeah, but it's it's a very. Um, but that's where I think having a very honest conversation about who you are and your values and getting to know your ego in the right places, because maybe I, I sound alarmist. I may sound very I don't know, uh, conspiracy theorist. I've, I've been called that um, because it's, it's funny how two years ago, everything I said is actually coming out to be true. Um, and you can ask my, sincerely people, if you really want to know, ask my mother, she'll, she'll tell you it's all true. Um, I literally said, it's going to be, it's, it, it's, it's going to end up in war. Funny thing is it happened. Um, and then we're, we're not done with that for sure. In the next couple of years, I don't believe so, but I still hope that some win of change will happen. We've been feeling it. The people want the wind of change, but there's still not enough, I would say, patriotic people to stand up in their own countries uh, to make that happen. And even though there are countries who've been stepping down, like UK, Denmark, uh, Ireland, uh, I believe there was others, but now the names are uh, not crossing I think my most, mind. I think most European countries have, have uh, stopped their restrictions now. Um, I believe France and Italy not yet. No. Uh, Italy is quite interesting what's going on over there. And of course, France has been quite also interesting to see, especially with um, when the, conv the Freedom Convoy happened in Canada, it inspired a lot of other countries to step forward. Um, and I believe France really got it hard because they really, uh, they went out. They really, um, they, they, let's be honest, they got, um, well, don't worry. The French Revolution happened a second time over there. That sounds pretty much what correctly what happened there. It's sad because like it, it, there's a lot of people who got hurt in the process and it's, it's painful to watch. Yet again, we were peaceful here in Canada and still people got hurt, unfortunately. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, but that's the thing. I think there's a lot of, there is some wind of change, but not enough. And now we're redirecting focuses elsewhere. And then I think not now I've been through a number of situations in my life where I've seen how much power the media has. And unfortunately, people still follow and believe what they say. Um, the there's so much information out there that if you teach yourself how to look for it, you can actually make informed decisions yeah. and then it will help you to interpret what you're, be, what you're being told or, or what people are trying to make you believe. What I've realized is most people don't have time for that. 
most people have got their lives to live they've got families to raise they've got jobs to take care of and you know the majority of society we're stressed we've got so many things we need to take care of we don't have time to sit down and research and understand everything we're reading my solution to that is be careful what you share um you don't have to share everything you find on social media if you you know if you don't have time to check out if it's true don't share it for sure <laughs> yeah I, I i think you posted something about that yesterday if i recall yeah i, I put every now and again i post something similar to that so yeah and um i know i've been careful also about what i am sharing um mm-hmm. because because of that especially because afterwards you kind of have to stand to what you said <laughs> yep. yeah and there's the thing you know if you if you if you post something that you're trying to make other people believe then when someone questions you you shouldn't get defensive because if you believe that to be true then you've got nothing to defend right you, that's yeah. that's the way things are if you have to defend something that you don't fully understand what it is you're saying then maybe that's a sign that you shouldn't be preaching it so a thousand percent i love that and if we come back to the ego part of that because let's be honest this is the ego in full play yeah exactly it's a defense mechanism you don't have time to check it out but um it fits into what i already believe so this is what i'm going to stand for now right and if you just question things for a moment like i i I believe in vaccines i don't have a problem with vaccines i disagree with being forced to have a vaccine Yeah, same. Now, it made sense for me in my life, but when it came to vaccinating my children, then my question is, that doesn't make sense with all the other information that I've read and had have about children being vaccinated, especially with this particular vaccine. Yeah. Um, and so I came to the conclusion, we'll just wait it out, because I know the, way, the, the progression that I've seen with the information as it's coming is that I expected it was going to reach the point where it's like, okay, we don't need to do this anyway. Um, so we held out with my eldest son, didn't get him vaccinated. And lo and behold, children don't need to be vaccinated anymore. And it was just kind of, you know, and then, you know, so if I'd rushed out to get my child vaccinated, I would have had to, you know, persuade myself and make myself believe that this was the right thing that I did. And again, where I can visually see that is people who vaccinated their children the first time, They no longer need the vaccination, but they're still vaccinating their children the second time. And that makes no sense for me. But again, it takes people time to adjust and to reconcile new information. For sure, for sure. Um, it's an interesting thing, but like I'm waiting. I don't want my child to be vaccinated based on the information. But also, if you really want to look into, I would recommend people go look on Pfizer because sincerely on their website, they talk about that vaccine very openly now. And they came out literally yeah. a couple of days ago. I I would say even a week ago. Um, now, maybe you're listening to this. I'm saying a week ago, this is going to be in the future. So it's probably a month or two months from now. But um, uh, still, still like information is out there. It's out. Um, but yeah, I think like you say, the ego there is at play and like you, you kind of mentioned that conflict of if you would be going out there to convince yourself, would you say that's the ego speaking out also? You mean in terms of, uh, being protected from new information or? Well, like you kind of mentioned that if you would actually go out there and you, you, you said convince yourself that you were doing the right thing 
Yeah, so, you know, let's imagine you've got a child and you're not sure about it, but then you you convince yourself, okay, the government says that we need to get our children vaccinated because it's protecting society and I want to be a good citizen. And you've convinced yourself now that you need to get your child vaccinated twice. During that process, after the first vaccination, the government then comes with new information that says, okay, actually, we don't need to get children vaccinated. And other information says, okay, it's actually maybe quite harmful for children. You've already convinced you so you've already bought into this idea that you need to get these two vaccines Mm -hmm. and this is where you end up in kind of a cognitive dissonance right because the government the same people who told you you needed it and are telling you that actually you don't need it and maybe you don't it's not a good idea either so you have to choose now do I try and okay but how do I try and make this new information make sense or do I just because I don't have the energy I don't have the time got so many things going on in my life I'm just going to continue believing what I already believe so you need to get the second vaccination, right? And there's so many areas in our life that that happens. Um, you know, to take something more personal, if you lose, a, um, uh, lose someone close to you sooner than feels normal, let's say you lose someone in their 20s, 30s or 40s, normal life expectancy is around 80, right? So you need to now make sense of that. And you can see how people get into depression and denial and it takes a long time for you to be able to fit that new information that you lost somebody way earlier than you should have to fit that information into your life, into the fact that most of us live to be 80. Um, You know, so we've all experienced someone going through that or we've gone through it ourselves, that time that it takes to understand what has happened. It's happening all the day. It's happening every day. And when people, whenever you're presented with new information, it's going to be difficult and some information is harder to process than others. Mm-hmm. And is there any recommendation or, I don't know, thing that you think people could um, benefit from maybe doing a certain exercise or whatever it is about mm-hmm. that specific uh, topic? About I think I, I would say separate yourself from your beliefs. Yeah. And that's, that's not maybe that's more complicated than it sounds. But the idea is that the things you believe, a lot of them are going to be wrong. If you if you once you accept that a lot of the things you believe are going to be wrong, they're just they're helping you to live your life every day. Mm-hmm. Once you start to understand, okay, this might be wrong, you will start to question things more. You'll start to want to know where where does that come from, you'll start to do a little bit of research when you have the time for it, you'll, you'll just generally ask more questions, and you'll be more curious. I think if you just believe that everything you believe now is the way things are period and I don't need to ever question it then you will have an extremely hard time when you find out you're wrong I love that (laughs) well I believe that I that that's why I made that podcast like literally it's because I question what I believe what are what are the thoughts what are the emotions I'm living out like um why is this happening like it's becoming this great observer Mm-hmm. of really what's going on um yeah. and it's internally and externally and i think it's not about trust um i think trust like i know we kind of mentioned that word trust and it's not about trusting information or trusting other people it's about trusting our our ability to question i think yeah. and and have that objective I know we don't have objective. I don't believe in objective thinking anymore. Uh, I do believe to, though, if you do believe to be an observer and want to be an observer, 
then I think trusting that you're a great observer and you're like, that could be a better, I, I would say, sense of what that could be objectively, like you said, yeah. dissociating yourself from the information, dissociating yourself from your thoughts, dissociating yourself from the beliefs. And then it's like, it's building up the ego in a very different way, I believe. And I think it's uh, evolving the ego in a very different way also, because then, yes, it comes from that place of protection, but still it's not coming from a place of response. Mm-hmm. It's going to be coming more of a place of being the observer and like filtering what is the information you're getting, being yeah. more self-aware of that, um, of that response. So instead of responding or reacting, it's more coming from a place of observant, which is an interesting thing. And I think, yeah, I think this is something people could work on a lot. I believe. I think in, in, in just everyday conversation is just learn to be patient, just learn to not answer like you just said don't don't answer immediately um if you're in a conversation where there's new new information coming or you're discussing with someone allow space to think you don't need to respond immediately if you've heard something um i'm very conscious in this conversation right now actually which is when you're speaking i'm listening to you i'm actually not thinking of my next reply yeah and i think what we normally do in conversations i do it myself is you're already thinking about what you want to say before you've actually heard what's being said. And I think the more we teach ourselves to slow down and allow ourselves to actually listen and be curious about what was said, you know, I think that just gives much deeper and much more, much better conversations. Absolutely. Well, I feel the same way. I still do that. Uh, I still sometimes think of my response or uh, sometimes we also feel how the conversation is going. So the response are coming up naturally. Um, I try to be mindful about this um it's quite hard because it's very conditioned uh, we were pretty much conditioned in that space let's be honest um i try to be very mindful also to be more listening uh, i try to find tricks to be more into this listening action um yet again sometimes having the response is okay also i think we should it's like, again, not being, not labeling it, labeling it as right or wrong, but yeah, being more mindful about what is going on. And like you said, allowing the space and it's being aware of creating, but also creating that space, even for yourself. I think, I think we have trouble even with ourselves in our own conversations, in our own little inner bubble and in our minds herself, exactly. where we don't you know, allow ourselves the space to think. Just to add something to that, you know, the, um, I think in Western society, they've done tests where it's around three to four seconds, we get really uncomfortable with silence. Mm-hmm. And that shows that it's really natural that we have a hard time with just creating space to think. It's like we feel we have to fill out the space all the time. And if you could just just be silent for four or five seconds and try it out in your conversations and see how people react to it, see how you feel inside and learn to sit with that and give yourself a chance to think about what you're going to say next. I like that. It's an interesting, um, like, it's an interesting observation here of enjoying the silence. Like, people Mm -hmm. don't enjoy, it's funny how it kind of, you say, filling the void, filling the gap. First thing that came to my mind was, is this, like, again, perpetuating the paradigm of not being enough? (laughs) Um, Funny part. I always bring it up to beliefs like that. I don't know why, but it feels as if there's always this missing thing. 
-hmm. when in fact silence is a thing in itself um this could be a, a that could be another amazing conversation to lead on because do you enjoy quiet i actually do and for someone who's always doing something i really enjoy quiet i um heard a really good way of understanding or, or, or understanding why silence is important and it was using music and they said the reason music sounds good is because of the silence between the the notes if you took away all the silence music would just sound like noise mm. and if you if you put that into you know abstract that out into conversation when you speak when we speak to each other and we allow each other the space to actually listen to what you're saying have a moment between the next thing that's said i think who is it neil degrassi tyson he does that really well when he's making a point if you listen to the way he creates spaces between when he's speaking i think maybe we've spoken about this before it really just it makes what he's saying so much more powerful it is and it's the way he uses silence music sounds amazing because of the way they use silence right same in conversation same um i think um jordan peterson also does that as well. he yeah. takes the time to think about his response yeah which is an interesting observation there too but like you said um but for sure um people who are very slowly responding have more emphasis to what they're saying it's an interesting factor but we've been taught to be quick, 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 quick all the time. <laughs> exactly. Don't, don't, don't let there ever be silence. Now, I could, as another test, uh, uh, like some research where I showed that really intelligent people tend to actually have more silences. And you can see that with Jordan Peterson, Elon Musk, and, and they actually take the time to listen to what the question was. And they'll, they'll sit, sit silent for 5, 10, 15 seconds before they respond. And, you know, I'm sure if you've seen some interviews with these people, you'll, you'll notice that suddenly they'll get asked a question where they're just dead silent mm -hmm. and you can see they're thinking. It's yeah. like there's, there's a certain element of respect about that. It's like, OK, this person's actually considering what I've said and they're using their huge brain to figure out what they're answering. So. Yeah, well, I've I, I watch a lot of Jordan Peterson. I listen a lot to Elon Musk also because I think he's a very interesting person um, in many different aspects but jordan peterson i i don't know his famous very famous uh gq uh interview uh mm. with very challenging questions um really taking the time to reflect on a lot of the questions that were asked and it actually um it um it's actually that's how i kind of stumbled about upon jordan peterson myself and mm. I thought it was such an interesting thing that he was really taking the time to reflect on what he was he wanted to say and uh it turned out to be a very controversial interview uh, yet uh, i think it's a it's a it's an interview that a lot of people should actually listen to because it's a very interesting you can see different perspective how they're um i don't know why he gets into these conversations <laughs> for him but I like it because he challenges the thoughts, challenges the concepts. And of course, why I love also a lot Jordan Peterson. He likes to work on definitions of things, which I adore that he does that. He brings back to sources of what the other person is saying to make sure that they're on the same level of conversation, which is an interesting factor. And I think we've spoke about that. Uh, I think it was on Clubhouse. 
where we had this really amazing conversation. I think it started with boundaries, but also receiving feedback, which this is an interesting factor also of to make sure that the other person comprehends what has been spoken. Yeah, if you actually understood what I asked you. There was, um, speaking of uh, controversial interviews, I think he had one with Kathy Newman in the UK. And there was a point in that where, you know, she's one of these people who's really trying to, you know, there's no silences. She's constantly throwing, bombarding you with questions. And he threw a question at her that she didn't know how to answer. And because she's trying to answer really quickly, you could see she was really stumbling. And she was forced in a position where she actually had to think about what she was saying. Even while she was thinking, she was still speaking. And it's just to show you, you know, it's, it's, if you're trying to fill out the space and you don't think about what you're saying, you'll, start, you'll stumble over your own words. It makes a thousand percent sense. And in that space, <laughs> how, how do you think the ego, like, would that be a response of the ego? Again, yes, I, I would assume. But I think so. You? You you mentioned something about perception earlier. Um, it's the it's the way you see things. And yeah, I think your your experiences, your ego, yourself is the way you perceive the world. So if you respond before you've had a chance to to fully understand what's been said to you, you, you know, sometimes you're gonna uh, answer in a way that not necessarily has anything to do with what you've just been asked. And you said about the conversation we had in Clubhouse and that's the thing. If, if you ask, if somebody asks you a question, maybe you should repeat the question back in your own way and say, is that what you're asking me? So you actually, so they get a chance to correct you and say, no, no, that's not what I meant. And I think, I think I've tried that with lots of people I've spoken to where it's like, oh, okay. So you mean this yeah. and that makes the conversation. So we actually answer the question that has been asked yeah. and we're actually understanding each other what's being said. Yeah. Yeah, a thousand percent. But you see as also the ego, um, I have two points here actually to add. Um, like the ego could also be the perception of self because if she's trying to respond, she's just wanting to fulfill a reflection of herself of being able to answer quickly, which is an interesting factor. And I think we all do this at some point in our lives. I know I, I've done that for a very long time I still do that sometimes myself um and I catch myself a lot of times doing it of like why am I adding here or why am I doing this and keeping myself in check but still it's like it's programmed uh, I think if, if I get the point of what you're trying to say it reminds me of something that I tell people a lot when you're in a, a conversation or a situation with people or someone who is trying to rush you to answer a question or rush you to make a, a negotiation or to agree to something that's exactly when you need to take a step back because when someone when you can feel somebody is pressuring you to make a decision quickly what they're doing is they're taking away your time to think they're taking away your time to uh, consider what you really want and if you look at that Kathy Newman interview she speaks really fast mm-hmm. and Peterson sp- speaks you know relatively slower and relatively more considered what he's saying and i think that's you know that put her in a position where she's used to bombarding a lot of you see a lot of journalists they're used to bombarding questions at people so they don't get a chance to think and then they say something that they shouldn't have said and then we've got a huge story whereas someone like jordan peterson is very considerate he doesn't allow anyone to make him answer faster than he wants to and so she's unable to control that conversation the way maybe she's used to doing and she came out really badly at the end of that. And going back to the clients, if you feel someone pressuring you to answer quickly, 
that's exactly when you should slow down because there's something going on yeah. that's when the you know that, that's the self somebody else's ego trying to control yours just slow down holy shit you know that this makes me think of sales conversations <laughs> yeah I used to be in sales so I know it very well (laughs) yeah you putting that pressure um hmm. I mean you can wait but there's only three more and if you don't buy it now they're going to be sold out so okay so I need to decide right now it's like no you don't (laughs) no you don't you actually don't um yeah that I've been um reflecting a lot on sales conversations um not particularly the ones i have but more because you know what if you don't want to buy from me like seriously like i I will never force or i would never force anybody to give me money i I think it's unethical to do stuff like that but that's my values (laughs) um that's just how i work but i've been in sales conversations with other people where there's this kind of continual like pressure or wanting to know what am I choosing but the thing is when I I I hate it like if I want to buy I'll buy and I know how to buy like I'm such a I'm this very rare typical buyer where I just I'll I'll do my own shit if and I'll come out out of nowhere and then I'll buy you'll never see me coming because but I've been looking at but that's how I buy I'm very quiet I don't get in conversations I don't need to sit with like my mentors with who I invested in or things that I buy. I don't ask anybody because I, I've done my own due diligence as myself. Yeah. Um, I filtered if it felt good or not for me, uh, not based on what you will have to offer. Like if you have to offer, if I feel the value is worth it, then I'll invest. But what I've been feeling sometimes is this, like, I didn't ask your help. Like, um, I'm very now pro, um, not DMing people, not like if people want to converse with me, I'll converse with them. And if they want to talk about my work, then I'll talk about my work. Yeah. I am coming more from a place now that I'll let people come to me instead of me coming to them. And it's a very, um, controversial thing to do because in the selling, selling space or business space, they say a lot like, well, people have to know what you do. People aren't stupid. That's, that's where I come from. I believe that people aren't stupid. They shouldn't be treated as stupid. Like if they see my profile, they should actually know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. They should know I will be, if they stay there, they will see me selling. Yeah. Because then if you actually start to think that you need to speak to everybody to make sure they know what they're doing, then it's like actually treating people as stupid. It's true, true, stupid, and it's also using, it's going to use so much of your energy. It is. It is, but it's like, I don't know. It's just that I don't adhere to that concept. And it's also, a lot of it comes from a place of pressure. So a place of lack mentality, scarcity mentality, scarcity mindset again. And then we're perpetuating that when, in fact, we're here to supposedly help get them out of that scarcity mindset yet you're here perpetuating it i i it, it felt completely conflicted inside of me i'm i'm you know it's also uh, uh again because i i have been good at sales and it's just uh, i don't want to go down that road and what i've 
realize it's just a case of, okay, I need to, and that's what social media is about for me. It's reminding people that I'm here. It's reminding people what I do and showing how I can help them. Yeah. And then once I've done that enough, then people can make the decision if they want to know more. And if I can see, if I see people are liking my content, if I see people are writing me messages, then I know, okay, this person might be interested in, in what I'm doing. And then maybe I'll turn on the sales gene. You know, yeah. but until that point, then it's like, if I don't know somebody's interested, then I'm all I'm going to do is just present myself. Hi, I'm Winston. I'm a coach. And this is what I do. This is what I've done. This is how I can help you. At that point, I'm just marketing myself. I'm not selling. And then if you're interested, then I will really start saying, okay, here's specifically how I can help you. And this is why you should get involved. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So they're going to step forward and say, hey, I'm interested. Yeah. Then the conversation can happen. Right. Exactly. They're coming from a place of consent. But I've, well, what we see is different sometimes. And that's where I think, but that's interesting because um, I, I don't want to go down too much on this sales conversation either, um, because it's a very, well, I'll have other sales conversations. I'll, I'll for sure on my podcast, but I, I do believe that this is where it's interesting how the ego steps forward also, mm-hmm. yeah. not just like in the space of when it's confronted, but it can be confronting also. Yeah. And do you think sometimes it is actually good when the ego comes out to play? Yeah, definitely. There's definitely times where it's needed. I mean, like without going into the sales thing, like I have a full-time job. So, you know, my ego is protecting me to some extent, but this isn't a life or death situation for me. Um, if I don't get, I like, I'd like to have a two or three clients every month. If I don't get two or three clients every month, I'm still, I've still got roof over my head. I'm, uh, I'm still doing all right. I'm not really worrying too much. Mm-hmm. If I was in a situation where this was my only income, then things would be very different. And I think my ego would be, you know, really trying to protect me. And, you know, a belief system that, hey, I've got bills to pay and I've got no money coming in. Yeah. So that would definitely, that was when my ego maybe might step in. And if I can use the positive sides of it, you know, the, the mature defense mechanisms, as I've written in the blog, if you want to understand what I mean by that, then it's definitely a good thing. I'm going to protect in my way of life. I'm going to be protecting uh, things that I believe in and things that I'm trying to achieve. So it definitely can be positive. I mean, ultimately, it is a defense mechanism. So it's, it's, it is positively, there is definitely a positive element to it. It's trying to protect you. Yeah. Well, this is where I really wanted to go into also into our conversation. We kind of addressed it here and there, but let's go deeper into that because I feel like in, especially in the coaching space, in the self-development space, we put the ego as being the bad guy. Yes. It's very portrayed as being the bad guy. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a bit wrong to perceive it so much as a bad guy. Like you said, there is more nuanced. It's more nuanced than that. Yeah, exactly. And this is, um, I'm really happy because our conversation kind of went there uh, naturally. I wanted it to go there at some point because this is where I really wanted people to start thinking and turning the wheels around about the ego. There's nothing wrong with the ego. The ego is there for for a reason. Yeah. Yes, sometimes he is an asshole, let's be honest. Uh, But sometimes he's not. He's actually really needed. Why would an ego would be there? There's a reason. Why have we developed the ego? Why is it part of ourself? Why is it part of the human experience? Why is it there? 
I can't, I can't remember who said it, but the, you know, the idea of the ego is to, is to be able to reconcile the past you with the present you with the future you. So all, all these different, you know, from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it, it's this continuation of who you are. So you wake up with something you had yesterday, and then tomorrow you're going to wake up with what you've learned today. And that's what the ego is trying to uh, continue this idea of this self through time. I really can't remember who said it because I think it's a really good way to explain why we have the ego. Um, so yeah, is there to protect you? When it becomes negative is when you do things like deny reality because you're trying to keep this idea, this perception that you have real and alive. And you can't do that if you accept this piece of information that says that's wrong. Where it's negative is where reality is pretty much right 100% of the time. And you're faltered beliefs and perceptions about the way you think things are is most likely going to be wrong especially when you're comparing it to reality right and that's where your ego that's when your self your defense mechanisms you know start to become negative you start to deny what's going on you start to project things onto other people that are actually going on inside of you you know and when you start to have more mature ways of reconciling that's when you take time and maybe maybe you can be a little laugh about things and laugh about your mistakes and accept that there's parts of you that are wrong that's when we start to it's still a defense mechanism it's still trying to help you reconcile the past with the future mm-hmm. and the present but it's done in a way that is not denying what's really going on interesting i think it's an interesting because um where to start so I believe that the ego serves its purpose. Uh, I like the idea of it to be able to, you know, I was a gap time in some shape, way or form of the personal evolution of the person. I think it's a very interesting concept of looking at what the ego is there for um, in that that space. I think it's interesting because it's kind kind of this linker, like, it's like this beautiful bridge between yesterday and today about different subjects, about you as an individual, as you are evolving and getting more information and growing in some shape, way or form. So, but it got in, I I really got interested um, how you kind of presented how it also, what was it? How do you say that? It was about, um, the acceptance and laugh about uh, mistakes and grow from it. Would you say like the idea we hear that sometimes in the coaching space and the, especially in the mindset space, befriending the ego, would you say that it's more about this great integration and acceptance of the ego's part to play that then helps you to evolve and grow and not take things personally as strongly as as it used to i think if you can separate yourself from your beliefs because i i I don't think you can separate yourself from your ego your ego is who you are but you can separate yourself from beliefs and then that allows you to you know things that you believed before to understand there was a reason why you believed that it made sense then but now you know that that doesn't actually make sense. And so you can kind of laugh at the fact that you didn't have all the information which made you believe something that was wrong. But it served its purpose at that point. And as you develop, it's like, you know, imagine as we grow physically, 
you know, our clothes don't fit us anymore. If you if you're trying to wear the clothes you were wearing when you were, actually I don't have but you are. If, you, if you're trying to wear the clothes you were wearing when you were 15, people are going to look at you and hey, um, that's too small. And if you try to fit, no, this fits fine. Like those old beliefs. Oh my gosh, there's a lot of people right? who actually does that. And <laughs> right, exactly, and and it's laughable, right? Yeah. But that same person, when they understand the reason they were still doing that, even they will be able to look at it and say, okay. Okay, that wasn't very clever. But if you if you force yourself to make something fit that doesn't anymore, as you know, you've you've 20 year old you compared to 40 year old you is going to understand the world a lot differently. And some of the things you believe at 20 are going to be funny to you at 40. I, I know that for myself anyway. And separating yourself from those beliefs, you know, if, okay, those beliefs were there when I was 20 years old. Now I'm 40. I don't believe that anymore. So it can't have been me. It was a part of me at that point that I separated because it no longer made sense. So yeah. once you can do that, I think, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm answering your question fully. I kind of got no, carried away. Um, well, yes, you are. And yes, you are. Um, because then it answers the idea of this concept that we hear of befriending the ego, which you said, yeah. like, you cannot separate yourself from the ego. It's yourself at the end of the you day. You can separate and yourself I, from your beliefs. Yeah. And the thing is, yeah. And it, that's the thing. It's about separating yourself from beliefs. I know in my journaling, this is where I see a lot of, um, and this is why I talk so much about journaling, because I believe this is the greatest tool to self-awareness of what's going on inside of you. And especially what's going on with your ego, your inner asshole, your inner critic, your uh, warrior side, whatever you want to call it, um, convictions, what you believe in, whatever it is. Um, because I, I know sometimes I'll write something as like, why do I like, and then I question myself, like, why did I said that? Why did I wrote that? Because you can see, see it quite blank, blankly, what, what you wrote, the words that yeah. you used, how you used it, the way the phrase is written. I'm very strong on words. I'm, uh, I'm very, that words are my, are my world a lot. Um, I just find it quite fascinating because it's our way of communication pretty much. Yeah. Like, and where it's that 7% that communicates for the rest of the 100%, that's 93% of you doesn't speak and you use 7% to express it, um, which this is interesting for me. That's why I love the idea of words. But then that's where I get to know this, like that belief doesn't make sense anymore. Like, and then I'm like, why am I still believing that? Yeah. Why am I still believing that? Why am I still saying that about myself? Why am I saying that about the world? Why am I saying that about X or Y or Z or whatever it is? And it's about questioning what comes up about that and challenge it. Like I believe in, when I say challenge, it's more about observing it and observing it for what it is. Yeah. What's the story? What's the idea behind it? Um, like it's, I like the idea of story because we all hold stories behind the beliefs. Because we've accumulated, like when I say stories, it's because we accumulated some sort of evidences in our lives that support then the belief that pretty much says that this belief is something that's important yeah. and we hold on to that. But what are those stories? And a lot of times would be, and then that could explain also why um, would you say like, tr like child trauma and um, let's elaborate on child trauma. Trauma can be many levels of trauma but if we lived out some sort of belief when we were younger we had evidence that supported that belief through our lens of a child 
let's remember us the ego child of ourselves and now as an adult when that pattern is repeated or that paradigm or that belief or that story and then we don't observe it so we have still this underlining lens of the child's ego that comes up what what's your take on that so right so i'm not a psychologist yet <laughs> yes. I do. I, I the way I understand trauma is again it comes back to beliefs, and if you encounter something that is very emotionally, you know, affects you very emotionally negatively, and it lies outside of your understanding of the world, I think that's when you're most vulnerable to trauma. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's because your whole belief system just gets thrown into chaos because something's happened that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, when I used to work as a doorman, I remember um, being approached by this kid and I say kid, he's probably 20 years old and he just came back from, I think it was Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, and it was really clear to me, I've not been a soldier, I've not been in war, but it was really clear to me that this guy had experienced something that he wasn't able to process. Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to be out with his friends and he spent, I don't know, a good part of an hour talking to me and not crying, but very close to tears, uh, talking about some things that he experienced, things that I won't share here because it might traumatize somebody. Um, It was quite clear he experienced something that he wasn't expecting to experience in his lifetime. And it damaged him. And I'm quite, I'm hopefully he's had help by now, but you see that he'd never imagined something like that could happen. And then he witnessed it firsthand and it damaged him and he had no one to speak to because other people around haven't experienced things like that. And so my advice to him was, you need to speak to someone who knows what you're talking about. You need to speak to other people who've come back from that war where you was, uh, mm-hmm. because those are the people who are gonna be able to help you to make sense of what you experienced because that's in their world. So my understanding of trauma is when you experience something that is negative, affects you negatively, emotionally, and is way out of any belief system that you have. Yeah. But I still, like, like I said, like, you talked about a very challenging trauma, but like, for, I'm going to take one of my examples, my father pretty much abandoned me, my biological father abandoned me. Now, I say abandoned, because I'm going to use that word, wording specifically to that specific trauma. Yeah. I sometimes repeat that same quote unquote pattern of defense mechanisms that come forward based on that experience of me feeling abandoned by my father, my biological father. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I say like childhood trauma, or that's why I wanted to mention different levels of trauma, because of course, what that person experienced, um, I believe nobody should experience that in their lifetimes. And I, yeah. Um, I can pretty much figure out what probably that person uh, lived out based on stories of my friends also going, some friends, people I've met that actually experienced war and there's nothing beautiful about it. There's nothing amazing about it. And there's no wonder these people need so much help when they come back. Mm. Um, Because let's be honest, there's nothing, there's nothing glorifying to be, to be said about what's going on in war. Um, regardless of periods of time of history, I, I just don't believe it. Even though wars were, are pretty much the thing that we talk about in history, they're the, the only quote, quote, quote unquote events that 
have marked history, unfortunately, um, but there's nothing glorifying about it. Um, but still like the idea of process of the ego there, like you said, um, making sense of the chaos, which I quite enjoy. Um, and I want to play a little bit with that. Can you go deeper about you, the idea of you making sense of the chaos? Um, in general, um, so I could use, use another example, which uh, I think women, especially women who've had children will know about this is, um, it's about to make sense of the chaos, you need more information. And what I've noticed, for example, is when women have had children and people haven't told them what it really involves. Um, we have this really romantic idea of what it is to have children. Uh, same goes for guys, but I think it's more extreme for, for women. Um, and then you experience it and then you see how many women end up in uh, depression like after after some is it postnatal depression well Which there's is, a nuance that we need to bring about about postpartum yeah. because postpartum true postpartum is about rejecting the child yeah so that's the nuance that we use the term postpartum for just depression after birth Okay. When in fact, postpartum is based on the idea of rejecting the baby. Okay. So, so I, I think we have to be careful. Um, I hear a lot of people talking about, oh, I have postpartum. No, you don't have postpartum, my, my love. Yeah. It's, it's, yes, you're having a little depression, which is, which is valid. Like it's totally valid, but you're not rejecting your own child. So until you don't reject your own child, you cannot say it's postpartum depression. Um, I had an amazing conversation. My, my, my brother is in, uh, he's a, a medic in the army, in the Canadian army. And we had this amazing conversation because I asked, uh, because we know somebody in common who was experiencing uh, depression after, and I asked him if it was postpartum. And he said, no, it's not postpartum because she's not rejecting the baby. So it was, it was like, that's an, an interesting factor. And a lot of people don't know that specific kind yeah. of subject. I, I didn't know that. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. But yeah. the, you know, and, and that's, I think that's quite a, a very good example of what I'm trying to say. The point is, when you don't know about the information that's out there, when you don't know how difficult it really is to have a, a child and all the things that come after, you know, you lose a huge part of your freedom. And if you don't understand, <laughs> it, if, you, if you only see the romantic side of having a child, if you don't see that you're going to lose so much of your freedom, then when that reality hits you, you're going to start, some people are going to start denying it and it's going to create this traumatic situation. So I think one way to deal with chaos like that is to have more information and allow yourself to actually understand that information. That's why we've started Blue Mind Approach, for example, is when guys are going through crisis situations with three guys who've been through our own experiences so we can give them some information. Well, this is what you might want to expect. These are the things you might want to do you might want to speak to a therapist. You might need some coaching. Um, you might want to know that you're not alone. You know, going back to women, if you've had a child and you suddenly feel depressed and you feel alone, you're not alone. There's loads of other women who have this. It's a normal, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. And it's just, you can deal with chaos by simply having more information and understanding, uh, having a better understanding of what's going on. Yeah, I love that. Uh, would you say not only dealing with the chaos, but are actually acknowledging and living the chaos as it is. Yeah, for what it is and not what you what you think it should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Um, I, because I like to point out that sometimes we try to so much avoid 
the chaos. And I think this is where the ego comes in to deny <laughs> the chaos, um, which is okay. Cause at some point we have to learn to sometimes push out the chaos in some yes. shape or form. There's nothing yeah. wrong about that, but pushing it too much out comes to the other extreme of what we could say denial uh, not acknowledging the truth like I think a lot of like if we take that yeah. specific um, subject about mothers living out of depression um, a lot of them trying to be strong to say no I'm not living that and I think a lot of if if I think of what you're doing with the blue mind approach with men the repression of emotions around men or uh, vulnerability or just also wanting to be a man <laughs> I think there's yeah. a, a great conversation there to have uh, this is why I would love for all three of you to come on the podcast to speak about more about that specific subject because I think it's a very interesting subject and we need to have more conversations about that um, but it's still again the it's interesting how the ego steps in to either quite protect or over protect um, and mothers do that with their children. We do that with mm -hmm. ourselves. We do that also within our partnerships, in our friendships. Um, uh, when we say partner in crime, we, let, let's be honest, that's pretty much what it means being overprotective. Um, but I like the idea of at the end of the day, we have to look at chaos for what it is. Yeah. And we, I think we don't do that enough. Chaos is not necessarily a bad thing. Well, there wouldn't be order without chaos. Right, exactly. And, you know, like creation comes out of chaos. That's when new things develop. You know, the, the, when you're going through a hard time in your life, you develop new strategies to deal with that because of the chaos. Like when everything's running smoothly, there's no reason to change anything. So, you know, chaos is not necessarily a bad thing. Too much chaos is definitely a bad thing. Yeah. Well, it's chaos about this great harmony of it. Yeah. Um, I know we, we had a, a lot of conversations around the masculine and, and feminine energy also. Um, like we talked about Carl Jung with the animus. Um, I always like, and, and I'm very interested in um, <laughs> uh, Jordan Peterson's books um, based, like I've read, I've read the chaos one. I didn't read his new one or on order. <laughs> so now it's on the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. which is going to be interesting. Um, but the idea of the container for the chaos is an interesting con concept because then it's not about denying the, co the concept of chaos. It's not um, pushing it away. It's about embracing it, integrating it in its own way without yeah. too much, without not enough, like it's just being in this great dance of it, but also creating the container to be able to support that chaos. I, I think there's actually something beautiful about uh, uh, the idea of a container of chaos. Yeah. And you can, you can see it in so many different areas where if, if you've ever had something really powerful that you've controlled, um, there's, a certain, there's a certain energy or, or power that you can feel in that. And there's, for me, I think it's a certain beauty. It's, um, it's like, for example, having a, a really, and, I, and I, obviously I'm going to talk about things that I find interesting. So it's like having a really powerful sound system, stereo system, yeah. but you never play it at full volume. You know, you're always controlling how much of that you let out. Yeah. 
even though you know how powerful it is. It's um, I just got a new car and it's really powerful. <laughs> just but just cruising around at normal speeds, there's a certain uh, there's a certain feeling you get from knowing that you've got all of this power to create chaos, but it's contained and you're controlling it. You're deciding how to how to use it. And there's so many other areas, examples I could give you, and I'm sure people can think of areas in their own life where they have this. Maybe you've got a talent. Uh, an amazing talent to do something but you only use like a percentage of it for this particular thing but you know that you can do so much more or you see somebody else with a talent where they're capable of so much more but you only see like a little element of what they're doing there is something powerful about that and that's where I think the beauty in chaos is and, and and putting chaos in a container you know you can use it when you want to or when you need to but you can enjoy it having that control over it I love that well if I, if we, let's go on to that conversation because the way I see people ex is exactly that. You are a beautiful container of chaos. Yeah. That's how I like, because that's how we see so much potential in people. Like I see so much potential in people. Sometimes it's crazy shit how they have so much potential, but they don't use it all or they're not even aware of it. Yeah. And they don't connect to that um chaos now chaos can we we use the word here chaos but that could be um creative genius could yes. be so many things and the creative for example is i believe part of the chaos which is also the quote-unquote divine feminine energy um yeah. and the container is the actual divine masculine energy here Precisely. which is do you have a container i'm going to use one of my examples i write so damn much Mm -hmm. And people see only bits and pieces of that. And, and it's fine like that because I have my own container. Uh, my journal is a big part of myself. And it's actually the container of that chaos going on in here and here. <laughs> to, and it's just about creating that space. But also in relationships. Um, I'm sure you live that with Heidi, uh, your partner. I have now a partner with who it's about understanding and creating that container. I have a new partner um, and we're in the midst of creating that container to be able to experience our own quote unquote chaos of two chaos coming together at the end of the day. And I believe that would be the same thing for you and Heidi. And you've been a lot, a lot longer with Heidi. And I believe you, you two have an amazing relationship and you're both really, um, um, I would say very generous to share what you're both living in your relationship uh, mm -hmm. with the world, with what you're posting. But I just enjoy watching it because you can see there's a great comprehension and you both cre you've created and you're still building that contain that container of both of you with both of your energies, both of your quote unquote chaos or creatives or ambitions or whatever mm -hmm. visions also, because you have two different visions, you have two different businesses which I think it's very interesting, but you're still allowing each other's self to be part of each other's chaos at some point. Yeah. And what do you think about that? What are your take on what I'm just saying or elaborating? What do you want to add? Looking at it from the idea of chaos and order, right? Because um, yeah. that's what we're talking about. I think one of the things is that we trust each other. We and because we've we you know we're we're four years old over, right? So we've been through some experiences, mm -hmm. and we know that things can work out in the end anyway. And so that allows us to be in that uncomfortable feeling of chaos and actually enjoy it because 
we know that if we're patient and we take our time and we speak that we're going to figure it out things are going to be okay as long as we trust each other and give each other the space when we need it and i think that's why you know yeah we are sharing a lot on social media of our relationship but you'll see that we're smiling 99 of the time and that is because there is that trust there is that understanding that there's going to be hard times it's going to be hard conversations and they don't need to be an argument they can just be a conversation despite the fact that it's difficult and you know in, in the time we've been together we've had some difficult conversations which you know i think in any other part of my life or any other relationship would have been an argument it would in chaos it would have been a nightmare but trusting each other allowing that chaos to, to create the new solutions and the the new things that it develops in us and our relationship is what keeps us smiling and keeps us going right so um yeah chaos is a part of life it's not necessarily a bad thing put it in a container figure out what's going on so. put it in a container <laughs> or like you but you kind of mentioned it also like building that container with the chaos solutionizing yeah. or just you know figuring out that container and building from it from the chaos mm -hmm. um which is is a beautiful way of seeing how both of your egos here or at are at work because like you said the, the difficult conversations need to be part of it for sure uh but when you come from that place of understanding that you can trust the other person um i don't know if, what's your take on trust about relationships we can go afterwards but at the end of the day seeing that both of you have such a mature way of seeing and perceiving the relationship but yeah. also understanding like you said the chaos part of it and building from it learning from it acknowledging it for what it is and just still both in a very strong container both on each of each sides the foundation and i believe that your communication should i'm i'm, I'm only assuming your communication is really strong also with id mm. yeah absolutely um and again i think the 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 thing that i've really taken or used is that patience is just slowing things down is um and you know obviously i've had that effect on heidi as well where she knows that if we don't finish about finish speaking about something now we can finish it later that doesn't mean it doesn't mean we don't care it doesn't mean it's not important it just means we need more time to think and again that starts to create trust over you know when you repeat these actions and these ways of talking to each other and I actually do want to hear what Heidi has to say. And she actually does want to hear what I have to say. And we may not agree. And that's okay. It's just, and that's, that's where I think the trust comes in. It's just because we don't agree about one thing doesn't mean the whole relationship is over. For sure. And I think when your ego is, is malfunctioning, it doesn't allow you to have deep relationships with people you disagree with because they're challenging what you believe. And when you've, accept that that's okay uh that's again where the trust comes into it that doesn't mean you can't have a friendship with anyone you disagree with or an intimate relationship with anyone you disagree with so i think that's where the trust comes into it for me is that things can actually be okay despite our differences it's really interesting um would you say then i don't know if uh, is it part of your experience with heidi or whatever it is but or even now taking the step back on the idea of trust 
um, because I really, I, I kind of want to go down that path very quick, like before I'm seeing we're almost two up, <laughs> two hours up already. Uh, but um, I really want to go down on that path of trust because I had an amazing conversation with my own partner about trust. Um, yeah. Um, for me, trust is something that should be given fully in the beginning of any relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to know what your thoughts are, are on that. I am generally a very untrusting person, but I definitely agree. If you want to, you know, have a chance of having a relationship with anyone, you need to start with trust. And so that was a big obstacle. That's always been a big obstacle for me when it comes to relationships. Um, but yeah, I'm very clear about that. If I'm going to be with someone, then I need to trust them. And, and then it's kind of, you're giving them the opportunity to, to, to earn that trust, even though it's already there, but you're also given the opportunity to lose it. And if you give each other that space, then the people who you shouldn't trust are going to show their true colors at some point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Heidi and I have been together for two years. We've known each other for two years now. And I think we're reaching that point oh, where, great. yeah, every, everywhere I, I, I we've... Uh, here in my mind, but uh, maybe it's two. <laughs> well, time goes, listen, time is different in, in restriction, corona times. So. <laughs> Well, I, it's just a case of um, allowing. I try to. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Um, I can't remember if I met you before or after I met Heidi now, actually. But um, it, it's just a case of like allowing you start with trust and allow people to show you that they're worth it. And I think we've shown to each other that we are worth it. I've been shown before people who are not, and that runs a different course. So. You see that where I want to go with that trust thing, because I, I really want to link it back to ego, um, because I had this amazing conversation, like I said, with my partner about that. Um, like I give fully my trust first. Like I, you have my 100% trust. I trust. I'll, I'll trust. I just trust. And there's a very specific thing from there because I've learned from my own experience with my father, because unfortunately what happened is, is my own programs with my father pretty much affected my intimate relationships with men. Mm -hmm. And, um, since my last relationship, which ended a year ago, um, well, approximately I've learned a lot from that experience and learned a lot, very much a lot. (laughs) I learned a lot of lessons and, one of them was about that. It was about trust, not necessarily trust in other people, more so trust of myself. Mm-hmm. And this is where my own ego, um, for a long time, giving trust to other people, actually, I always, I've experienced either giving too much trust or not giving at all trust to people either way. It's about, it's all about the other person having your trust, but what about you having your trust of yourself? And where I want to go with this is really because if now he has my full trust, so either he's going to gain points or lose points from there. Okay. But if he would lose it completely, if we bring that, like, if it would say it's a hundred and then it goes up and then it goes down and if it would actually hit zero, okay, I'm just going to use that little metric here. It goes down to zero. Should it affect my own trust about myself, about who I am as a person? And then it's like my father, my relationship with my biological father has taught me because if, if one day he wants to come back in my life, I would still give him a chance. 
Okay. And if he just does what he did in the past, well, he would just do that. It wouldn't take away who I am as a person because I trust in myself. I don't need his validation. I don't need his opinion. I don't need, I don't need him particularly as a person in my life as I already lived and experienced it also because I know, and I trust myself as a person. And that's how my ego has brought up trust. I've worked not on, it's not about giving or not giving trust outside of ourselves. It's about giving trust to ourselves as an individual. Yeah. And I feel that sometimes when we have difficulty giving trust is really because we have difficulty giving trust to ourselves. Um, Again, I think we're protecting ourselves in those situations. Yeah, a lot of time it is. Um, and But it's an interesting thing because I feel like a lot of people work from the paradigm or work from the idea that people need to gain their trust. Mm. And it's an interesting thing because it feeds the egos <laughs> a lot. I think it feeds the fear of the ego of not being themselves trustworthy which is an interesting factor mm -hmm. because if somebody like if I, i'm going to take an example the example if like a, a couple and one i don't know is um infidel <laughs> let's go let's go with that okay why would you be the untrustworthy like because it's the ego takes this being untrustworthy and then they cannot trust that they're quote-unquote good enough so they're being cheated on. I don't know if you understand like this kind of... I, I, I think I do. And I think the way I would look at that is, is if you want to trust yourself, you need to know yourself and you need to know what role you play in relationships. And, you know, just using that example of infidelity, if somebody cheats on you, I think you need to have a, a, a really bigger picture view to understand, well, did I play a role in that? And I think one of the things people do is, is sometimes they deny how much of a role they play in their partner cheating. So should you it, not trust your partner? I think it goes is, both ways on it that. It definitely goes both ways. And, and, and I think that the, the point is there are some people out there who are just not good people. There are some people out there who are promiscuous and will cheat no matter what. For whatever reason, that can be something in their childhood or their own experiences or just the kind of, you know, I, I can't talk about why people do that. But if you're in a relationship, Very. there's too much. In <laughs> right. If you're in a relationship where you're actually not playing your part in the relationship and you're creating this lack in the other person, this this you're creating a feeling in this person that they're missing something from the relationship. You know, do you have a role to play in it? Maybe. And if you never acknowledge that, then you might find, okay, all my partners cheat on me. So is that because all, if you're a woman, is that all men are bad, all men are cheaters, or is it something that you're doing? And that can go both ways. Okay, I cheat on all of my partners. So is that all of my partners fault? Are they all not good enough? Or is there something wrong with me? Is there something, the way I'm looking at things is wrong. So I think it's... um. When it comes to trust in yourself, you need to actually ask yourself some difficult questions yeah, and try and see things for what they really are. Yeah, but it's an interesting one because this is where I, it's fun because this is where I wanted to go with that. It, it's based on that spectrum again, 
but asking yourself the question, are you trust, like, are you trustworthy? Mm. Like, are you yourself trustworthy? Like yeah. I know myself, I'm an honest, very honest person. I would, I, I couldn't live with myself <laughs> and it would show. And I already know I'm a bad liar, such a bad liar. <laughs> so, and I've always been a bad liar. So I don't lie. That's pretty much yeah. what it is. Um, I don't say I don't always say what I think. Mm-hmm. I just want to specify that because I do restrain myself on some things. I think we need to. <laughs> yeah. And it's fine like that, but it yeah. doesn't mean I lie. And there's sometimes a, people need to figure that that thing out also. But at the end of the day, like I, I know I couldn't live with myself, so I don't do it. Yeah. Because also I just truly believe when I engage myself with somebody or when I engage myself and I commit to somebody, I respect my commitment. I respect my engagement. That's how I work. Because for me, this is a sign of respect. It's a sign of acknowledging the other person for who they are. And this is also an acceptance. It's what I chose. It's also the taking the responsibility of my choice. And if I go out there and do something else in the back, then I'm not in integrity with myself because I'm not even speaking up about what I'm doing or what I'm missing. I'm not communicating. But then again, of course, and I think this is where sometimes people need to address is if it would be on the reverse and am I allowing my partner to speak up, to speak about his needs, to share what's going on inside of himself? Is, is he happy in the relationship? Is there something that needs to be tending to? Are we actually cultivating the relationship? Am I allowing it to be cultivated or am I on autopilot? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's working towards what you want and being very clear and being open about that. And I think that's something that Heidi and I do. We are very explicit about what we want and how we see the future. And so everything we do is in that direction. And every time, anytime we're uh, focusing maybe on something negative, it's like, okay, is that what we want to happen? Then we shouldn't be focusing on that. And that, again, that takes honesty, that takes openness, that takes speaking the truth. And yeah, you don't, of course, maybe not so much in our intimate relationship, but there are other relationships I have with people where maybe I don't say everything, but I make sure that everything I do say is what I would stand behind and I believe. A thousand percent. Um, I try to work on that same parent, well, same belief system. Like I don't yeah. like, let's talk about like friendships, for example, we don't necessarily say everything, but when we do say it and we commit in some shape, way or form to the relationship, there is a part of honesty that needs to be there. Yeah. Same way there, same way with jobs, same way with uh, people that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So amazing. Uh, gosh, we've, <laughs> we've pretty much went. I didn't know it was going to go on a few hours. This is a, uh, we covered a lot of things. <laughs> we've covered, uh, yeah, I covered a lot, but there is going to be other conversations as always me and Winston. We like to, Definitely. um, maybe final, is there any final words you want to add to this, uh, podcast? Um, you know, if I had anything, final words, it would be going back to, uh, what we spoke about with, you know, how to deal with your ego and how to, you know, have these difficult conversations. And it was actually something I wrote in the blog and it was just the, 
things that I always recommend to people, things that I do myself. And the first one we've spoken a lot about, which was slowing down. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was having empathy. And I think we covered that a little bit when we were talking about trust. Yeah. And it's about understanding that, try and put yourself in someone else's position. How are they you know, experiencing what you're saying? How is it what you're doing affecting or the situation they're in affecting what they're saying? Another one is, where do you want to be? Where do you want to go? What is important to you? and vulnerability you know when you're honest you're actually becoming vulnerable making yourself vulnerable you're telling things about yourself that might be you know potentially could be used against you but that's what creates intimate and good relationships right so i think um you know at the end of the blog is just a few points when it comes to how to have these deeper conversations amazing and I'm, I totally agree. And it's really about having that deeper conversation with yourself at the yeah. end of the day. Um, I, I know I've talked, I talk about it all the time. Being in a constant conversation with yourself yeah. is how to keep your ego in check, how to yeah. keep that ego um, still in its protective mode, still in its own you know, uh, place but also to really filter it so it can actually do its job as it's supposed to and not bring you into the extremes of what the ego can take you. Well, that's amazing. I love those last points. Uh, So everybody, uh, where can you find Winston? (laughs) You could find me. There's two places where I am mainly on social media, and that is the Blue Mind Approach on Instagram and winstonwilliams.dk and on both of those websites you will find all the information all my links and other ways of getting in touch with me and you'll see exactly what i'm doing there so winstonwilliams.dk and bluemindapproach.com and everything will be linked into the show notes don't worry about that my friends so this was an amazing conversation on the ego of course you can always submit any um, comments suggestions suggestions or if you want ever to elaborate more you can always send an email to me at hello at anabuto.com so we can talk more about this because at the end of the day what i really want is this open conversation like i mentioned also in the podcast really make your wheels turn about everything. (laughs) That's really what this conversation was about, to make our wheels turn, start thinking, start processing information differently, and really challenging your own system of beliefs and thoughts. So with this being said, I want to thank everybody for coming and keep looking out for the show. Bye, everybody. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode of Disrupting the Ethos podcast. I hope this podcast enlightened you, expanded you, and that you feel called to share this podcast with either a friend, family member, or whoever you believe that could truly benefit from this podcast. This is how we can help more is by sharing this podcast as much as possible this would be very much appreciated from yours truly now here's your last reminder you are a motherfucking badass person and the world needs your light more than ever today time to own that shit up and go do the work with this being said peace out everybody